Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you are enjoying the holiday season. You're listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host for almost six years, Paul Metza. We are turning the tables on the host tonight. I have a big show coming up at the Parkway Theater on December 23rd at 48th in Chicago called Holiday and Ice Cubes. We will be celebrating my 40th anniversary from my very first gig in town, which happened to be at the Skyway Lounge, opening up for the dancers. And uh, I'm going to have some uh, great musicians there. We will be remembering the late, great Willie Walker, who was going to be on the show. That would have been his 78th birthday. But I got my old buddy, Sonny Earl, on harmonica. Bobby Vandell's going to MC Jimmy Anton, Donnie LaMarca on bass and keyboards. And my great singers, Mary Harris, uh, Randy Star Hudson, and my good buddy, Stan Kipper, is going to be joining us. And who knows what else. So we thought to give a little preview to that event and a little bit about my history that we would turn the tables and turn the interviewing over today to my friend Marty Keller. I met Marty uh, when I first moved to town in 78. He was writing for a weekly called Sweet Potato, which then became City Pages. He's also written for the Twin Cities Reader. He was a uh, an editor, I believe, at one of those music editor, right, Marty? Editor, columnist, critic. Yeah, Features writer. Yeah. And uh, Marty, say hello to the uh, Wall of Power Radio Hour audience. Hey, everybody. Uh, it's good to be Paul Metza for this uh, <laughs> this show today. Nobody's ever said that, by the way. <laughs> I won't say it again. So, Marty, you've got some national... Well, first of all, you just had a great book come out uh, last spring called uh, uh, Hijinks and Hearsay. Yeah. That... Uh, Scenester Stories from Minnesota's Pop Life. Yeah, tell us about that. Book. Kind of a fragmented memoir, as I like to describe it, uh, slash uh, photo archive. Uh, I did a, the book with Greg Helgeson, who shot uh, virtually, uh, I would guess, 70% of my stories back then through the years, from the uh, late 70s to early 90s. and. And you've got stuff in there for everybody from uh, Louis Anderson to Bob Marley. Yeah, it's a, it's really a, kind of a cultural memoir as well as a personal one. And, uh, yeah, Bob Marley, Bob Dylan, Prince, of course. Bob Mould from Who's Do? Bob Mould, all the Bobs. All the Bobs. All the Bobs in one book. Well, now let's uh, fire away. Um, leave no holes unbarred. <laughs> Well, I, I first encountered you uh, probably on the West Bank at the 400 Bar performing, but let's go back before that. I know you had kind of a an epiphany when you came down from the range to the Guthrie Theater to see Leo Kotke one time, and that changed your life. I uh, drove down through a snowstorm with two of my friends, Jake Benson and uh, Mike Dudley-Doyle, I uh, Dudley turned me on to Leo Kotke, and I was playing acoustic guitar for several years by then. So we were, I think I was a junior in high school, so it was 1972. Might have been a sophomore. Um, and uh, saw Leo Kotke. Uh, he did a set solo, and then he brought on uh, Bill Berg on drums and Billy Peterson on bass. Those two gentlemen went on to play a couple years later on Bob Dylan's Blood on the Tracks. But it was such a magical and powerful show uh, I walked out of there that night and said, that's what I want to do with my life, is become a professional musician, and my only goal was to play the Guthrie Theater. And you eventually made that 
journey to the Guthrie, but we'll get to that later. Um, so you went home to Virginia. You'd already been playing for a while. Um, how did this change your artistic trajectory? Well, I just started to realize that this could be a really beautiful way to, to live my life. Uh, I was thinking about maybe becoming a lawyer at, at one point. That was really the only other thing I um, thought about doing. My, my dreams of becoming a professional football or hockey player were dashed when I was in the seventh grade. <laughs> Because, number one, I was okay, but I was playing against some guys that went on to play in the 1980 uh, Olympic hockey game against Russia. You couldn't skate like a Gretzky? I couldn't. Or like the Carlson brothers, who I grew up yeah. with uh, from the uh, great movie Slapshot. So uh, I just became, you know, once you realize what you want to do in life, things come into focus. And obviously you had spent a lot of time listening to stuff back in the day. Oh, yeah. I was... Uh, I mean, I assume Dylan was on your playlist and uh, right some of the, the old top. blues legends. Who, who else that we might not be aware of? Uh, well, I listened to... Uh, my dad had some records like Tennessee Ernie Ford and Johnny Cash. My mom had all the you know, South Pacific and all the uh, Broadway uh, musicals. But there was actually a really great music scene on the Iron Range. Uh, still is to this day. I took lessons with a guy named by the uh, by the name of Dennis Monroe, and when I was about in fifth grade, he was in high school with my sister Kathy, and so he turned me on to 1968, uh, to more Bob Dylan, but the New Lost City Ramblers, Pete Seeger, the band, Leonard Cohen. Uh, it was just a treasure trove of stuff for a young, you know. 12 or 13 years. Any hardcore right. rockers in that mix? Uh, well, we had the hardcore rockers, the Electras from Ely, uh, who actually had a, a couple hits down on uh, Minneapolis radio. But I could also see um, a lot of the bands at the armories. There was a series of armories in Duluth, Grand Rapids, Eveleth, and Virginia. So you could see a lot of the bands that were... Uh, you know, very popular in Minneapolis, like, uh, you know, the Dell Counts and Joker's Wild, and uh, uh, they'd all be passing through, and for a quarter, 50 cents, you could hike down there. Mom or Dad would drop me off. I could walk home. And so I saw a lot of great rock and roll. But Dennis was also, uh, not only turned me on all this great acoustic music, he also was in a band called The Small Society. And they won the 1968 Battle of the Bands, the WEBC. It's a great name for a band. Produced, yeah. And uh, at, uh, at the Duluth Armory. My high school band, uh, six years later, Damn Everything But the Circus, went on to win that same battle of the bands uh, the spring of 74. So I would assume you attribute some of those uh, early successes to the fact that you've always been a pretty well-read guy. It comes across in your songwriting. Your lyrics are as poetic as, as the music is. Thank you. Is deeply entrenched in... Americana, uh, roots music, whatever you want to call it. Who were some of the poets and writers that probably shaped that sensibility? Well, Dylan, of course, um, right off the bat. And uh, But, you know, I, from sixth grade on, especially junior high and high school, uh, the St. Louis County school system was very well funded, and we had phenomenal teachers. So I can remember my... 
teachers in every grade who really encouraged my writing and my reading. So, you know, they would say, you know, read Walt Whitman, read Allen Ginsberg. Uh, um, they didn't say read Allen Ginsberg. <laughs> <laughs> that might have been my buddy Kelly Hodgkins. <laughs> But, uh, no, I had a pretty cool ninth-grade English teacher named Jim Thomas who was way left to center. And uh, and he would, you know, he'd encourage me. And, you know, he would lend me books from his personal library. Yeah, that's great. I think, you know, I can't say enough good things about teachers that that recognize, one, that you have some talent, and, two, they encourage you and they take extra time with you. And they do. It makes a huge difference. It makes a huge difference. My... Um, High school humanities English uh, teacher was named Tom Moeller. He also was a guitar player and uh, gave me a few lessons, got me to the band Tony Perpich and the Perpetones. I played bass in ninth grade. <laughs> and I was starting to get into the clubs where my mom and dad hung the out. The Perpich that had a relation in the governor's uh, office? He was first cousins okay. uh, with Rudy Perpich. In fact, they, uh, they lived together for a summer. And Tony was best man at, at Rudy's wedding. But uh, Tom Moeller was actually a student of B.J. Rolfson. And B.J. Right. Rolfson was Bob Dylan's 11th grade English teacher. Uh, who Bob told personally, uh, you are my greatest influence. Yeah, BJ, uh, I think he's probably overlooked in a lot of the, uh, you know, the hagiography out there. No, uh, no 2018 Nobel Prize for Literature for Bob Dylan without BJ Rawls. That's exactly right. So he was one of the first songs uh, called uh, Stars Over the Prairie that I put on my very first record 35 years ago in October. And do you think this typifies uh, how and when your songwriting really arrived or came together? It was really coming together, and I think this song is a... It's one of my favorites. Thank you. It's a prime example of that. Stars of the Prairie, Paul Metza. In the days when I was a buckshot in short pants Spinning bottles with Tiger Jack I remember Grandpa's European prayers in the bunkhouse To these days I used to spread to try to bring him back Hand in hand with my brother and sisters Chinese jump rope heart to heart They ain't hiding but they're just out of earshot Up to the heavens that worlds don't fall apart And I wish I could see Stars over the prairie Stars over the prairie tonight And I wish I could see Stars over the prairie Stars over the prairie tonight Under the gazebo where I stole my first kisses in the fallen age of Cadillac with chrome Well, me and my buddy like a, a good gypsy army Fighting each other's causes like they were our own In the Greece Valley Alley where I got sucker punched Welcome back to the second segment of Wall of Power Radio Hour. 
I am not Paul Metza. <laughs> I'm Marty Keller sitting in for Paul Metza, but Paul Metza is actually sitting right across from me. And uh, we turn the tables today because we're talking about Paul's uh, 40th anniversary celebration coming up at the Parkway on December 23rd, Parkway Theater. Uh, wonderful show he's got lined up called um, Holiday on Ice Cubes, and we're going to talk more about that as we move through this discussion. But um, we left off with your early years. Let's uh, let's talk about uh, when you moved into the Heart of the Beast, the Cats Under the Stars period, uh, when you started to make a name for yourself in town? Well, I moved in in September of 78. My goal was to get my music degree at the University of Minnesota Music School. They had refused me entrance that spring. I passed my playing exam. I was studying classical guitar, actually, with a guy named Robert Wander, who was Dessa Darling's father. I found that out in October at Dessa Show. It's such a small town. Yeah. That was up in Duluth, but I came down and I completely blew my theory exam. I got a letter that said, we highly recommend you find another field of study. <laughs> I wish I would have had it put on my first album. The school of dentistry is pretty good over there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've been there. Um, but anyway, uh, so I started, uh, I went to a couple months worth of night class. What was fun about it, Marty, is I was sitting right next to a night class with Tim O'Brien. Uh, the great fiddle Amanda Limpler that went went on to make quite a name for himself in the bluegrass band Hot Rise. But um, so that was my thing. And uh, I started uh, in 19, right after the first year, 79. I saw an ad in the Minnesota Daily, wanted musicians, Skyway Lounge. I stumbled down there with my cassette, a little uh, picture of myself, and met the great uh, Reggie Callahan, uh, who was running the bar at the time, who also gave... I like to think, Marty, that his tombstone said, and you knew Reggie, his tombstone said, Reggie Callahan, the man that gave three great acts their debuts in the Twin Cities, the Rolling Stones in 64 at Reggie's Danceland, the Beatles in 65 at Met Stadium, and Paul Metz in 79 at Skyway (laughs) Lounge. And according to that legend... He lost money on all of them. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't lose money on me. I played for 30 bucks on a bar tab. <laughs> well, I know he, he didn't sell out Mets, Mets Center or Mets, Mets stadium. stadium, which it still is mind-blowing to me. Like, how can you not sell out the Beatles after they've broken in America? I, I ran into – he was very loyal. He had a lot of his uh, bartenders and waitresses and waiters uh, work for him for years. And one of his waitresses told me years ago, I said, yeah, Reggie Callahan, the only guy that's lost money on the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, I started playing. Uh, I taught Tim O'Keefe to come down in 1980, and we had been playing together in high school. He was the guy that turned me on a Sonny Terry and Brown McGee and Muddy Waters and Little Walter. And then uh, about a year later, we invited Jack Pasternak down, and uh, we were three of the original members of Cats and on the Stars. Sadly, the fourth original member, Skip Nellemark, just passed away uh, a couple months ago. So one thing led to another, and we started doing Tuesday nights in about 1981 or at the 400 bar. We did four years of Tuesdays. And correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Cats kind of evolve into a jam band, although no, nobody called bands back then jam bands? Well, we were doing, when we started playing as Hot Walleye, before we named ourselves Cats and the Stars, 
April or August 17th. That is that, not a good band name, by the way. <laughs> so, uh, we named ourselves Cats on the Stars because I, I clipped it out of a Crawdaddy magazine. It was, the t- it was a stoner comedy article by Robert Hunt of the Grateful Dead. So we started calling ourselves August 17th, 1975, Cats on the Stars. Three years later, Garcia, Jerry Garcia, put out a record called Cats on the Stars. So everybody thought we were this dead jam band, but we weren't. Uh, we'd been playing both acoustic and electric up on the Iron Range. But we played, we were one of the first bands in town, uh, thanks to a guy named Mike Starnes, you might remember, yeah. who used to, uh, who came from New Orleans, so he turned us on to the Neville Brothers and the Wild Chap Tulos. So we were doing, you know, Neville Brothers stuff and, uh, uh, you know, a lot of reggae, Bob Marley, Peter Tosh, and we were a dance band. So we didn't play long because we were a jam band. We well, you had a lot of groovers on the dance yeah, floor. Yeah, well, we played long because that's how you kept the dance floor happening. Yeah. We should just point out Mike Starnes uh, was an early on sales rep at uh, Sweet Potato Slash yeah. City Pages. And he got us our first big gig at Moby Dick's downtown. And there was a guy named Bobby Gold down there that ran it. And he was I just, remember Bobby Gold. Yeah, he had the uh, the chest hair and the gold <laughs> chains and the big lapels and the perm. And uh, I remember he brought us down to show us the new stage and he said, yeah, he goes, you can put all your lights all the way down the stage. And I said, <laughs> don't worry, Bobby. I said, we only have one light. <laughs> but he also brought, uh, Starnes also brought the Radiators right. to town. In fact, the Radiators did their first gig at Oddfellows Hall on Halloween, opened up for Cats and the Stars in 81 or 82. I remember that show. Yeah, and then uh, Little Queenie, who recently yeah. passed away, yeah. So you left the Cats behind and went out on your own solo about what year? That was 84. My record, Paper Tigers, was actually going to be a Cats Under the Stars record. And, uh, boy, you get uh, four or five guys into a studio and everybody's got a different opinion. Uh, The band kind of broke up. And um, in a way, as sad as I was, we're still good friends. We're going to be celebrating our 45th anniversary in 2020. Uh, But it was the best thing that ever happened to me was put out that record. And I wrote a bunch of other tunes. Uh, Tim and John from the Cats were on it and Joe Loma. Um, and Al Oikri, but uh, so I put up Paper Tigers, and uh, boom, all of a sudden, uh, I'm a song, singer-songwriter on the scene. So you went on to win uh, eight Minnesota Music Awards, and you wrote some very uh, striking songs, including this next one we're going to hear, probably one of the few really art- artfully done conspiracy theory songs, and it's called Jack Ruby. <laughs> Jack Ruby in a Kavanaugh hat Whoever taught you to shoot a pistol like that Oh, you snuck in the basement and you stood in the back Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby in a Kavanaugh hat Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby, you were 15 years old On the south side of Chicago you looked up to Capone Stole girls' lunch by meat boys on the way home Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby, you were 15 years old Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby, when you were 21 Who you treated brass knuckles for a caliber gun In the Sherman Hotel, bootleg whiskey did run Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby, when you were 21 
Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby, when you were 35 Set up shop in Dallas, you had nothing to hide A nightclub of hookers and cops side by side Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby, when you were 35 Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby, when you were 49 From the Carousel Club, you kept the judges in line J. Edgar Hoover said there's no organized crime Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby, when you were 49 Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby, in a Kavanaugh hat Who ever taught you to shoot a pistol like that? Well, you snuck in the basement and you stood in the back Jack Ruby, Jack Ruby, in a Kavanaugh hat Did the Kingfish in New Orleans give you the key? Welcome back to the third segment of Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is not Paul Metza. This is Martin Keller. I'm uh, sitting in for Paul, although Paul is two feet away from me across the table. We're, uh, we turned the tables this weekend because Paul's got a really great 40th anniversary show coming up at the Parkway on uh, December 23rd. Um, Parkway quite, Theater, 48th in Chicago. It's going to benefit the Senior Food Shelf yeah. in Northeast, which you've been very dedicated to over the years. This will be the 22nd year that I've uh, hosted and produced a show called Holiday and Ice Cubes. This, is gonna, this Holiday and Ice Cubes includes my 40th anniversary. But when I moved to Northeast Minneapolis in 1997, Jeff Maritko, who owned Mazelax at the time, uh, he and I started a yearly event around the holidays. Uh, raising money and food for the Northeast Seniors Food Shelf. Now, Marty, when we started this in 1997, I had no idea that one day I'd be eligible for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, it's a good thing, and you know, you know where the pantry is now. Yes, exactly. Well, it's a, you know, it feels good. There there's, should be no reason in America that anybody goes hungry, but especially senior citizens. And especially this time of year. Exactly. So, Paul, let's talk a little bit about uh, how things have changed in 40 years. Mm. Um, you were up against some pretty stiff competition in the, in the Twin Cities music scene in the uh, early to mid-'80s into the 90s. I mean, it was the explosion of the Paisley Park regime with Prince at the, at the four. Uh, Prince was king. Yeah. <laughs> The independent uh, punk new wave scene with Husker Du and the replacements and Soul Asylum. Uh, I mean, the the scene was pretty diverse back then. And uh, singer-songwriters, I think, were still highly respected. Um, but tell me what it was like. I mean, did you feel like this was a competition or this was a... Uh, this was just a, a league that you had entered into, and boy, were you lucky to be there. It was a league, and boy, was I lucky to be there. But, you know, I, I played a lot on the West Bank, and when I wasn't playing on the West Bank, I hung out on the West Bank. Because if you look back on that, Marty, and I saw you there dozens of nights, you know, during a week's time at the 400 bar, you could see Willie Murphy solo piano. Spider John Kerner and Tony Glover, Dave Ray, Bill Hinckley and Judy Larson, uh, and <laughs> for free every night. And uh, Rio Nito, Tim Sparks, Boone Johnson, you could uh, go across the street to the New Riverside Cafe. 
the biomagnetic center of the universe and see all the bands that were playing there. Uh, and then you had the Cafe Extemp next door, so you yeah. could see guys like Bill Staines and Utah Phillips. And they'd all come and drink at Greg the Greg Brown. Yeah, and Made Greg his Brown. debut up there in that funky little That's second right. floor cafe. And they'd all come and hang out at the 400 afterwards. So uh, it was a really great breeding, breeding ground. But I, for music, but... Um, I lived in South Minneapolis on Ridgewood Avenue, and uh, which was right by the corner of Franklin and Lindale. So when I started making some money, I'd take $5 every day. I'd walk down to the Egg and I on 26th in Lindale, and i had my eggs and my coffee. And uh, I always got a great deal, left the waitress a dollar tip, and then I have a dollar, dollar and a half. And I'd stop back to Orfolk Junkapis on 26th in Lindale and buy records. And... Uh, you know, musicians, we get up a little later in the morning, so by the time I uh, left the uh, Egg and I, it was noon at Our Folk Jokers. So there was a young Tommy Stinson, you know, he was 12 or 13 years old, and uh, you'd hang out at the store and you'd see guys from the suburbs and Bob Mould and uh, the replacements. And uh, so, although I played a lot on the West Bank, I went to a lot of parties in South Minneapolis with the punk rockers because those guys knew how to party. Yeah, they were party animals, yeah. and um, the after party was sometimes more important than the actual gig, <laughs> as I sort of recall. But uh, let's let's uh, divert here a little bit. And uh, I first read Blue Guitar Highway when it was in a shoebox. Right. You sent, mailed it to me, I think, and said, read some of this stuff. Let me know what you think right. about it. And the more I read and the more I thought, hey, you know, this is a book, man. You should put this together. You're very supportive. I appreciate and, that. And eventually uh, you did. It got some great reviews. You can uh, – we have a list of uh, quotes from some of the reviews if you want to well, un unabashedly read them. No, my, my favorite one, my favorite uh, – a review of the book Blue Guitar Highway was by the Kirkus Review, along with Publishers Weekly as the gold standard for book reviewing. And you know you get a great review, especially in this case a book review, if you can use it on your tombstone, which I'm going to. And it said, Metza is as likable a narrator as ever graced a bar stool. Yeah, well said <laughs> and uh, all true. So that's a great book. If you haven't read it, it's it's really a must-read for Minnesota uh, memoirs, especially in the music culture category. Well, you know what what I loved about writing that book that the University of Minnesota Press put out in 2011, which I might add is the same university that refused me entrance into their music school, but 30 years later got a hold of me and said, geez, we'd love for you to write your autobiography about your 30 years in the music business for the University of Minnesota Press. So that was in a way my diploma and really cool karmic uh, uh, connection there. But, but once I put out my first record, Marty, in 84, Paper Tigers, I'd start to go out. There was a thing called the New Music Seminar out in New York City. I remember that. Yeah, so you'd go out there and you'd hang out. And uh, I remember, you know, it's the first time I, I met and heard Africa Bombada. Uh, I played a gig. There were several of them over the years. So I'd go out there and I'd, I'd get to meet all these musicians. I became very good friends with Alejandro Escovito. Uh, we did a gig together at the Lone Star Cafe. I did my very first gig, my debut at Folk City. Now, Folk City for me... That's where Dylan made his debut when Folk City was a couple blocks. 
east of there, but this was still that's where all the Rolling Thunder Review got back yeah, together. It's one of the churches. Yeah, it's and and so for me this was like this was like entering the promised land. So I went there the night before. I just I always like if I get in a town early, go check out the room just to get a feel for it. And a guy that was working the door that night who ended up doing sound for me, who became a very good friend, was Pat Denisio. And he had a little band he was telling me about at that time called the Smithereens. And then, boy, a year later, they blew up. Yeah. So one thing I was able to do was back then you could fly anywhere for about 200 bucks, And I, so I'd go out to Los Angeles, uh, Austin, Texas. I was there half a dozen times. And uh, New York City, I was there about a dozen times. And I put together the gigs. The gigs never paid a lot, but you were able to get your name out there and meet musicians and meet radio and, and that. So the book is a lot about that. And those those were extremely, extremely exciting times for me. I look back on them. You know, I was just in New York last week to see Bob Dylan, which was phenomenal at the Beacon Theater. But I'm so glad I was able to dig New York in the mid-'80s. You know, and just like... If you were from Minneapolis in the mid-'80s and you played New York, people paid attention to yeah. you. Because Curtis A. was out there, the replacements were out there, Husker Du were out there making Minnesota seem like a very cool place, which it is and was. And we would be remiss if we didn't discuss your uh, particular strain of social consciousness, awareness. Uh, you've done a lot of benefits over the years for everything from Rescue dogs to um, Flint, Michigan, folks who have been suffering through lead crisis with their water system. Um, I think you even did a show for people in Japan after a the tsunami. The tsunami, yeah. I was actually the first gig I played with Willie Walker. May he rest in peace. Wow. And speaking of Willie, um, you enlisted him on this great 2017 song that you released called Ain't Gonna Whistle Dixie Anymore. Uh, your reaction to the Charlottesville um, neo-Nazi riots yeah. and, and uh, Sounds of Blackness are on there. Of course, yeah. they've won several Grammy Awards. And, and That was a bucket list for me, working with Gary Hines and the Sounds of Blackness. And now that Willie passed away three weeks ago, it was a... Uh, it's going to be a lasting legacy for, for Willie Walker. It's such a powerful it. song. We'll listen to it here as we go out. But um, let, let, If I could just jump in, I'll tell you where my social consciousness came from. Okay. I grew up on the Iron Range. And uh, this, you know, I grew up uh, in a Finnish family. And it was all the Finns that came over in the late 1800s, early 1900s that helped unionize the mines, helped start the first co-ops. So there was always a very progressive political viewpoint that was easily accessible on the Iron Range. And then uh, you start listening to Bob Dylan, and uh, and then you then you get then you go to Woody Guthrie, and then you go to Pete Seeger, and. In the meantime, you're also listening to Buffy St. Marie and Joan Baez and Tom Paxton. And so I really came out of being influenced by all of those great musicians, writers, and Americans. And uh, for me, uh, you know, being in Minneapolis now for 40 years and doing over 6,000 gigs, the community has always supported me. And I just feel like um, it just, I love supporting the community. 
and it feels really good to help people, period. That's as simple as it is. And if you can write some music addressing those issues and feel like it's, it's they're good, powerful songs, then uh, that's kind of what I like to think is my place in life. And I think that song will, will be part of your legacy, and certainly people will discover it on YouTube over the years as they're Googling around for something to hear. Yeah. So let's listen to that track. I know Willie was scheduled to be on the Parkway show the 23rd. And it would have been his 70th birthday along with his wife, Judy. They both turned... It's my birthday, too. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, cool. Well, you're going to be there. But, yeah, we're going to dedicate the whole show to Willie, and we're going to have a, a clip of he and I, a video clip of he and I uh, playing together. Sweet. Yeah. So let's listen to the late Willie Walker and uh, The Sounds of Blackness. Ain't going to whistle Dixie anymore. Tiki Torch Parade On the blood red Evening news I remember Timothy McVeigh And the Jesus Was a Jew Benedict Arnold Waits for you In the hottest place In hell The screaming soul Will drown you out The seek high Rebel yell Ain't gonna whistle Dixie anymore I ain't gonna whistle Dixie anymore Bear that song in the land of cotton Deep in the Delta mud to be long forgotten I ain't gonna whistle Behind is a loot of wounded me. Sacrifice of the highest kind from Gettysburg to Normandy. Burn your crosses, match your face. Wall of Power Radio Hour. Welcome back to the final segment of Wall of Radio Hour with Paul Metza and Marty Keller sitting in as host for Paul Metza. <laughs> he's my subject today. Uh, he's got a great 40-year anniversary landmark coming up at the Parkway Theater December 23rd, the annual holiday on Ice Cube show. Uh, check his website for information on it. Check the Parkway website. Um, Easy is just going to paulmetza.com, and people misspell my name wrong all the time. I go, Metza. It's like the New York Mets with an A at the end. <laughs> <laughs> so before we talk a little bit more about what's happening at that show on the 23rd, uh, we'd have to, we should hit a couple of highlights over, sure. over your 40-year career, and uh, at least a couple of them that I think deserve mentioning. Your, your Farm Aid gig, I think the fifth year of that that you played, and then your... Uh, 1992. And then the... Um, the Woody Guthrie Tribute. 96. Sponsored by the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. 
Why don't you give us the down low on that? Well, I got uh, I got to play uh, Farm Aid Five in 1992 because my friend Tom Arnold, uh, the comedian, the comedian who was married to Roseanne Barr at the time, was the MC. Those two were the MC. So I called Tom and I said, "Hey, I, I recorded this single called First Wheels on the Farm." And he got it to Willie Nelson, who I think probably rolled a joint on it, never listened to it. But uh, Tom got me on there, so I was able to perform uh, to, it was a, started at noon, I was on at about one o'clock, after the rhythm section from Stevie Ray Vaughan's Double Trouble. And then Tom was able to slip it into the evening broadcast. But I debuted my song that we listened to in the last segment, Jack Ruby, there to 25,000 Confused Texans. <laughs> but I live to tell the story. And then you taught uh, Springsteen the, the chords to uh, Ain't Got No Home? Yeah, it was... Uh, was he a good student? He he did a damn... You know, he could make a career out of it. <laughs> but uh, my friend Nora Guthrie, I got a letter from her, somebody, somebody sent her a tape in 94. She said, who the hell are you? I said, that's it. I was at this point in my life. Uh... I said, I needed to do something, and so uh, uh, I went out to meet Nora Guthrie and ended up living in New York with my friend Jerry Disroot in Rigo Park and to spend a lot of time with uh, Nora while they were getting the uh, Woody Guthrie archives together in West 57th Street. Uh, Harold Leventhal, uh, office there, he was, of course, Woody's manager, Pete's manager, uh, got Judy Collins started. Yeah, Arlo's one of the pillars manager. of the yeah. folk movement. And Fred Hellerman from the Weavers also office there. So that was fun to go in once or twice a week. So I got a call. <clears throat> I said, hey, we're doing this tribute to Woody Guthrie. Two days uh, in Cleveland. They're going to have a club show on the Saturday. It was myself, Alejandro Scavito, Sid Straw, Jimmy LaFave, Yorma Kalkonen, Country Joe McDonald, and a few others. And then uh, Sunday was the big show with Springsteen, Pete Seeger, Harold Leventhal, Ani DeFranco, the Indigo Girls, uh, and more. So all of us from Saturday night were invited to play uh, the encore on Sunday. So I was sitting down in a in the green room, uh, banging on my guitar, and I got a tap on the shoulder from a guy named Jeff Kramer, who was managing Soul Asylum at the time. In fact, I got Dave Perner on that gig, and uh, said, "Hey, could you uh, teach the encore to Bruce?" And I. Bruce, Bruce, who's Bruce? I turn around, there's the boss. <laughs> so I taught him the encore, and then a week later, he opened up his show, uh, the Tom Joad Tour, at uh, Northrop Auditorium, and I was wearing the same jacket. I had this really cool yellow silk Shriners jacket. It says Grand Rapids, Minnesota on the back. So uh, I met his manager, who remembered me from Cleveland. He invited myself on my date to meet Bruce after the show. So I got to meet Bruce. Bruce has his shirt off. He's totally buff. My girlfriend's melting. And uh, I said, before I left, I said, he, he remembered me f- uh, from Cleveland. I, before I, I, I left, I said, I turned around and said, Bruce, you know, from one band leader to the other, I really dug it when you fired the E Street Band. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, man, you are the first guy that's ever said I've been taking S for it for years. Good story. So we're going to have to scoot out of here, but I wanted you to give like a uh, give the audience, give listeners an idea of uh, what's going down at the Parkway on the 23rd. There's a really sexy VIP package with yeah. a lot of goodies in it. Why don't you talk about that? Well, they can go to either paulmetza.com and link to the show or go to the Parkway Theater. But, yeah, for 50 bucks, you get a meet and greet. You got my new record out. 
uh, which is called uh, Walking in a Woman's World, and uh, really good seats. You'll be in the first uh, couple of rows. I'm going to have uh, I'm going to start acoustic solo, and then bring on my musicians. Uh, and we're just kind of figuring out the show now, but we're going to have a, a, it's going to be all original music, and uh, we're going to be playing a lot of my songs. Uh, that are considered mental classics, Anna, and several new ones that nobody's ever going to heard. Mary Harris, Randy Star Hudson singing, my 22-year buddy, uh, Sonny Earl playing harmonica, and then I'm going to do an electric uh, second set, which I haven't done in a long time, with Jimmy Anton. I gave him his first gig in town. He's been playing with Johnny Lang for years. On bass, Donnie LaMarca on keyboards, and uh, my old buddy from Cats on the Stars, Joe Loma on drums. So That's going to be a good gig. Yeah, it's going to be a great show. It's going to be a good gig, and uh, it's a couple days before Christmas, so... Perfect timing. going to be a song that you'll probably play there that we'll hear on the out now called Christmas at Molly's. Marty, thanks so much for hey, being there. thank me. you. It was fun. Yeah. Happy holidays, everybody. See you on the 23rd. December is a stranger I walk Like I just lost the keys to the city As a sailor I've sent postcards round the world But the picture tonight wasn't pretty I walked in the shadows of haunted hotels Like a miner trapped in a cavern Well I looked to the east and a star had shone down And it led me right to Molly's Tavern so I follow the footprints made in the snow By Salvation Army musicians I got in line and I stood right behind A tap dancer and two blind magicians You would have thought I had been there before As Molly stood there to greet me Eighty years old with a gleam in her eye Said you're expected and proceeded to see me Come all you low-down rounders Lift up you low-down ways Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is Paul Metza. I want to thank my guest host today, Mr. Marty Keller, for having a very enlightening conversation with myself. I want to invite you all to my big show, Holiday on Ice Cubes, December 23rd at the Parkway Theater. Starts at 7 o'clock. Find out more information at paulmenta.com or go to the Parkway Theater's website. Find out how you can get tickets. It's also going to be, we're giving a few bucks off every ticket to the Northeast Seniors Food Shelf. And we will also, if you bring a bag of non-perishable food items, you get five bucks off a ticket. I want to wish everybody a happy holiday. And like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy. on a dance floor made out of glass Between dances we sang Christmas carols then we lit candles, had a moment of silence The bartender read F. Scott Fitzgerald Molly said first we must give to receive We put our trinkets into a key